The science is very clear that we step into our fear body when we step into shame, when we step into guilt, we are much less likely to change because we're triggering the amygdala. We're triggering a threat response. Who can make a loving change from there? It is scientifically very challenging, and so too on the energetic level. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Good afternoon, Zoe. To you in your closet. Good afternoon, Erica. To you in your. Where are you? Living I'm in. I'm in the dining area. Whatever. Yeah. It's called. Back room. The back patio. Cupboard. Whatever. My fancy microphone. Is that where you do all your best crossword puzzling? Mm, yes, actually, there's a jigsaw puzzle on the I table. I'm at jigsaw. Very tempting, but I'm going to take a moment to step away from it until you know. Until my work is done. We just had a really great chat with Victoria Albina, who is like, she's got a lot of skills and stuff under her belt. She was like, she had a holistic medicine practice and she's a nurse practitioner and she's a coach. And I think she might be a Wicca, a witch. She is definitely, yes, we called her a Wicca wellness warrior or something <laughs> like that. And she liked it. So she liked it. So she's a, she's a holistic functional nurse practitioner and breath work expert life coach. I mean, she's just like collecting modalities at this point, which is great because they're all the ones that we need right now in 2020. Yeah, for sure. And you've got some more um, cool free breathwork advice, which I know is really like the guiding motivation behind every guest we book. I know. I'm just... (laughs) Remind me how to breathe again. I'd be so happy. Uh, But she did. It was actually very enlightening to hear. So she has an interesting perspective because of her background in medicine. She can also speak to, you know, we understand what stress does to us on just like an experiential level, but she's taking it a step further to explain how it actually affects us biologically, physiologically. And it's no joke, by the way, not at all. It's that's, I mean, there's, there's real data and information there that I think is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, the, and the most interesting subject to me is always just how trauma gets physically stuck in your body. Yeah. So like something that is intangible can have a physical manifestation to me. It's just like mind blowing. I think it's, I feel like it's come up so many times with different experts, but yeah. I, it's like, I'm always looking for someone to articulate it in a new way because it's, uh, it's just one of those things that it's very hard to wrap your mind around, but it is it it it's a thing. Yeah. It, it exists, so it's real. Yeah, well, have a listen to Victoria and enjoy, and uh, take some breaths. Well, officially welcome Victoria Albina. We're very happy to meet you and um, have a chat about all things related to stress on the body and uh, stress in our culture and stress in our lives and breath work and meditation. So give us, give us a rundown, give us a little, uh, give us the the buffet of all of these incredible things that you, that you do and have training to do. Ah, So I am a holistic functional medicine nurse practitioner, and my focus is on life coaching and counseling for women learning to manage and recover from codependency and perfectionism. And I do that with cognitive behavioral frameworks, positive psychology, and lots and lots of somatic practices. Somatic practices. Can you define that? Yeah. Yeah, So I think our culture in the US sort of writ large, um, and of course is a generalization, but is very brain focused. And I tend to work with high achieving perfectionist smarty pants who are very mean to themselves habitually and really people pleasing and just want to be like perfect, which is an exercise of the ego, right? Like that is all about brain and ego proving itself and proving itself and proving itself. But the body tells a different story. And so I support 
the, the people in my care, generally human socialized as women, to check in with their bodies, to get into their bodies. And for the first time often to really connect inward to like the fact of being a mammal and not just a brain. <laughs> start by identifying that we're mammals. We are mammals. <laughs> yeah. So what does that mean? What, is, what does it mean to start by identifying? I mean, I'm just going to yeah. dive right in because I have Get to say, I'm, as I take a deep exhale, I have been uh, very curious about breath work for a very long time because I've been having trouble breathing. Yeah. <laughs> and Zoe is breath curious. I'm mm-hmm. super <laughs> breath curious. I've been breath curious for years. I'll just give you like the two second spiel because it's um, an Erica has heard this a gazillion times. So sorry, Erica, but it's just like a bizarre thing, right? So uh, anyway, I had like two babies after the second one. It was kind of like a light switch. Like my, I was finding that I was having trouble breathing, mm. uh, like taking a full breath in. And I thought I had like uh, lodged like diaphragm or perforated mm. diaphragm, like all, all of these things that I've spent like however long investigating. Yeah. Most of it was like ruled out anatomically and, you know, I had tons of tests done and x-ray, whatever, all this crap. Right. And then there were a handful of practitioners who from, you know, Western, Eastern were were like, you know, I think it's just anxiety. Yeah. That was my first thought. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, that's impossible. I literally like would go to the extent of like... Going to get like go, going to see a pulmonologist. I'm like I must have like uh, something lodged in my lung. Like I don't know. Like I can't take a full breath. It's crazy. Yeah. But because it was such a light switch, and my actually my OB was like, I was like, I think it's anatomical because it was like a, right after my um, second pregnancy. So I think right. something like shifted, and she was like, Well, you know, it also could happen after your second pregnancy is you get super stressed out. Like, you know what else is really stressful is having two kids. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So anyway, I'm interested to get your take because I know it's it's such a complicated thing. And I, I think breath work is just, I mean, obviously it regulates so much in our bodies and it just is sort of this, has this sort of triggering effect and potentially downward spiral effect for so many other functions in our bodies if we don't kind of, you know, wrap our arms around it and really, right. you know, connect with it. So I'll leave you with that. Yeah. To unpack. Okay. Okay. Well, I just want to actually start with love and normalizing. Though I am not a parent to humans, Um, even with two dogs, it's like, I'm in charge of two living creatures. If I don't feed them, they don't eat. If I don't wash them, they are filthy. Like, what? Who made me a grown up? You know? So like, not to like say a life, a dog's life is less important than your children, but but it's stressful. It's in, a lot, <laughs> and being in charge of someone else's existence is too human animal. Like yeah. that's a lot, baby. <laughs> right, and it stirs up all this childhood stuff, all this existential stuff. It makes sense that your body would signal, "Hi, look at me." I I know that you need to feed and water and bathe and put to sleep and then, you know, like deal with these two mammals, but don't forget your own humanity. Mm-hmm. And that's really how after a decade in health and wellness or 20 years in health and wellness, a decade as a healthcare provider, that's what symptoms are, right? They're the body saying like, over here, sweet one, I'm giving you a bellyache because I love you. Please don't eat that thing. <laughs> Right? Like, I'm making you tired because you need to go to the back of the cave and you need to sleep. Right? So good to me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that sound great? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, it just sounds like a really loving reaction from your body. And to be clear, we can be annoyed at loving reactions, right? We can hold duality and say, like, oh my God, this symptom's so annoying. And thank you for the message, mm-hmm. message received, right? I will attend to you. So yeah. from there, I'd love to nerd out about two things. One, the breath work that I share with folks. And two, polyvagal theory, 
Mm. Yes, I want to get into that vagus nerve. Yeah, let's go. All right. So the breathwork I teach comes from a yogic tradition. Uh, it is not mine. I do not cl- I'm Argentine. It is not the tradition of my people. I share it with appreciation, not appropriation. And the one I teach, and there are hundreds of breathwork modalities and breathwork techniques. Um, I mean, honestly, every time you take a really deep inhale and expand your belly and long, slow out, <sighs> and you breathe out all that carbon dioxide, all that CO2, you temporarily alkalize the blood and you calm your vagus nerve. So that's breath work. And like, God, I feel like my mom spent the entire 80s huffing. You know, like (laughs) we sigh as a response to being a a human, right? Like, (sighs) ah. I know my sister and I always make fun of my mom's sigh. Like we do, it's like, she has this like a very dramatic side. Anyway, yeah. She doesn't even- so, right, totally. I don't think mine knows she does it either. Right, so breath work is a thing that we all have access to and all do in our own ways, literally all day long. And so when I am working with folks, we do a three-part breath based in pranayama. That's two breaths into the belly, into heart center, and out all through an open, relaxed mouth. Scientifically, what this does is it alkalizes the blood temporarily. The blood will buffer against that. But when you alkalize the blood and you take these big, deep breaths, the calcium ion channels in your body go whoosh and open wide up. There are two other things that many of us love that do this benzodiazepine drugs. So, like a nice Xanax, a nice Valium, right? Yeah. A nice colonopin. Um, and lavender. Lavender also opens your calcium ion channels. So either framework, we can understand the deep, profound relaxation effect this has on our cardiovascular system, our pulmonary system, our adrenals, our thyroid. I mean, like the whole animal and on our spirits. So from an energetic, a spiritual point of view, because I always work to combine the science and the sacred, From that point of view, what we're doing is opening up a portal to whatever other dimension you believe in, whatever your understood source of life force and energy is, and it creates a way to move stuck energy within the body. So it's really helpful. The science also shows us, right, that trauma and stress gets stuck in the body. They get written into the body. Talk about that a a bit more too, if you... (laughs) want to come back to it. Yeah. Mm, with great joy. <laughs> uh, any invitation to nerd, I'm like, RSVP, yes. I am 100% there. <laughs> so yeah, so we can look to Gabor Mate's work, uh, Bissell van der Kolk. Like, there are lots and lots of scientists who have done us all the favor and, you know, eons of witches and wise women, right? Telling us that the stress and trauma we don't process we don't attend to, we don't give love to, that we resist or push away, which again is a protector part, right? Like that's a part of you that's like, I love you, please don't feel sad. So we push it away. We don't have the tools or the skills or the community supports. We don't have the resources to manage that trauma, to process it all the way through our bodies. It gets lodged in us. So an example that makes it easy, I think, to understand is, you know, when you have a really good cry inside of you, but you're with someone you don't feel safe with and you like hold it in, it's hard later to get that same cry out versus when you like, something happens and you want to cry and you're with someone loving and tender and they're soft blankies and you just cry and cry and cry. And then you hit this like, gentle place where it's just out, yeah. right? And I think kids are, I think kids are just the best example of pretty much everything, but they'll just be like, I'm so sad. And they'll cry so hard, like their whole body will shake, which is called completing the stress activation cycle. Oh. And then they're just done. And they stand up and they run away and they, you know, like grab a frog or, you know, like go do kid things, but they process it whoosh, yeah. all the way through our bodies. So as adults, we've been socialized and conditioned and trained and had trauma and stress responses where we have blocked that capacity. And I want to be clear, that's never blaming or shaming or guilting. We do that to survive. 
And it's brilliant in the moment. It just doesn't serve us as adults, right? So all those feels get trapped in our physiology. So what is the physical manifestation of that? Like, what is an example? Yeah, my favorite is IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, because that is a plague upon humans socialized as women in this country. One might say around the world. But IBS, I think, is the best example of a psychosomatic experience of stress and trauma. So, but also migraines and headaches and joint pain. And, you know, all these things can have a physiologic underpinning. So when I had, I had wicked IBS for the first 30 years of my life, I had a parasite. Like I had blastocystis hominis. We needed to find it. We needed to murder it. I needed to stop eating gluten. Womp, womp. And, you know, I had to do those things, but none of those things really got me well until I learned to manage my mind and to look at the thinking, the codependent, perfectionist, people-pleasing thoughts I had that kept my vagus nerve so confused and not doing what I wanted and needed it to do to help move that stuck trauma and that stuck stress and that stuck energy. So can we talk about the vagus nerve and like how, how it's sort of this crazy connection between everything and like what what does it regulate and how do we disrupt it and what are the consequences of that? Oh, thank you for the opportunity to nerd. I love it. So the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve. It is the longest nerve in the human body. It is called vagus, like Las Vegas. It means wanderer in Latin. Uh, and so it wanders through the entire body. So it comes out of your brain, out of your skull, um, and down through the middle of you. A total knockout punch in like boxing is a hit to the vagus nerve and it just whoosh, shuts the system down. Mm. So the vagus nerve enervates or gives nerve function to your whole face, your seeing, your smelling, your hearing. Uh, there are other nerves, right? The trigeminal, there's other nerves involved, but mostly focused on vagus. Uh, and then it goes down through your throat and controls your swallowing, your heart rate, like the your heart rate variability, whether your heart rate's fast or slow, your breathing, the literal movement of your diaphragm, all of your digestion, uh, whether you right, are like digesting your food or just not. And along that pathway, it also impacts reproductive function, thyroid. I mean, literally yeah. the whole animal. Like down to your colon, right? Literally. Yeah. 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 So people with a spastic colon... Um, which is really common in IBS, which is really common when people are holding emotions in... Anal retentive. Meow, meow. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, which is Freud. funny because I always think about that, that sort of like holding of emotions and how women are so good at that. Uh, yeah. And that women always tend to run slightly more constipated and men uh-huh. tend to run a little bit more diuretic, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just funny how we process as uh, generalizing here, but, sure. you know, women are, they very much like internalize things and men just have a tendency to like, bah! you know, it's like the temper, the loud, the anger, the like, get it out. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's not for everyone. I'm, I'm probably not, I, I think I might be the exception. <laughs> I tend to get things out. But anyway, yeah. So any that, that sort of clenching and yeah. emotional connection is so fascinating. Yeah. 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 Clenching and tension go with anxiety, right? So when you are clenching and you are tense, you're not oxygenating your tissue, which is going to send the baroreceptors, the the receptors in your body that tell you there's too much pressure are going to freak out and tell you to release adrenaline, which will make you tense more, right? So it becomes, there's like all these feedback cycles. And one of the things that I do in my life coaching and through breath work is help people to relax the physical body. So you are oxygenating in this different way and reducing that tension response, that anxiety response. Right. Right. So just to play devil's advocate here, just because I feel like we have to on behalf of, you know, others, everything you're saying totally resonates with me and it makes sense. And yes, having done my own experimenting and, and paying closer attention to my system, it all feels very valid, but especially from your point of view as somebody coming from a a background in Western medicine, like how, you know, how do we reconcile these things when people go through, you know, they go to a a doctor, for example, and they have all of these symptoms that you're describing, but the, the medical perspective on it is like, here's a pill for that. 
you know, here's the surgery required for that in a most extreme scenario. And those pills, I mean, they work for some people, but how how do we encourage people to think about all of this in, in a much more holistic way when there are so many kind of just easy, quote, fixes that, you know, somebody who's not necessarily woke to wellness in, a, in, you know, in this kind of conversation, top to bottom, holistically are saying, well, no, it's not because of that. It's because of X, Y, and Z that my doctor identified. Yeah. Well, so I think there's a really inter- interesting and vital interplay between, well, the placebo effect and belief, right? So belief controls so much of our lived experience. And a belief is just a thought you've thought over and over and over again. And I can give someone the most correct and perfect antibiotic, but if they believe it to be poison, who knows what the secondary effects are going to be? It's going to kill the bacteria. It's, I mean, like if it kills gram-negative bacteria, it's going to kill gram-negative bacteria. But what are their side effects going to be? Mm-hmm. Right? What is their psyche going to create for that? So that's you know where I think belief comes in, and I believe we can't fix other people. We can only like show them what we believe and really honor everyone's autonomy. And if someone doesn't want to look at the holistic methodology and the holistic path, when I was younger, I wanted to convince people and I wanted, like, I should it all over them, you know? Like, right? Like, you should eat your fermented foods. You should drink your green juice. You should not take that drug. And now I just say, maybe I have some alternatives. If you want to hear them, I'm available. Mm-hmm. And if not, I wish you the best of everything. Yeah. So, I mean, zooming out a little bit, I think we, we want to be candid about the, the, the world we're living in right this second. So, you know, we're in, we're in June. Uh, it's been four months in lockdown uh, related to global pandemic. And it's been about a month or so of a really, really elevated level of stress on a cultural level because of the horrific killing of George Floyd and the, you know, ensuing protests and rallies around Black Lives Matter, the movement that have come from that. So, I mean, this is like, this is unparalleled, the state that we're living in, right? I mean, we're, how are we actually expected to, to manage this and to, to move through it? And for people who are saying like, you know, taking deep breaths is not going to fix this problem, I mean, what, what can you say to, to speak to it on a, on a broader kind of cultural level? Yeah, so I will say, and I say this with a full loving heart, that this is only news and an elevated sense of stress and fear and trauma for folks who aren't Black. Mm-hmm. Right, like this is just showing folks who are white, I'm a white passing Latina, like this is just showing us what Black people literally live with all day long when they go to buy Skittles, when they go for a run, when they sleep in their own car, right? And literally get murdered while doing all of those things Mm -hmm. that I don't even think about in terms of my own physiology and risk, right? Like I'm a small white passing human with glasses. Like I don't think about it. So, um, So I'll start from there. So... I will stay in my own lane and say what I think is helpful for white and white passing folks. I think what is incumbent upon us in this moment is to take deep breaths because we need to regulate our nervous systems. Because if we are showing up to a protest as a nervous system hot mess, we are putting Black lives in danger. We are putting the movement in danger. We are not... We're not being allies, but I never aim for allyship. I aim to be an accomplice and a co-conspirator. I want to put my body between my Black friends uh, and the police. Mm -hmm. So it behooves us to regulate our nervous system because when we are in sympathetic activation, fight or flight, that is a physiologic state ruled by adrenaline, epinephrine, norepinephrine, in which we are activated, we are hypervigilant, we are also defensive. Right? Because there is that physiologic defense, like, ah, a lion's coming. But there's also the psychological and ego defense that shows up there. That's when people say, yeah, but I'm not racist. Yeah, you should start a revolution, but looting, come on, you guys. Right? That's when people say these problematic statements. It comes from an ego defense. And so I actually think that 
white and white passing folks regulating our nervous systems, learning to manage our minds so we can start to see our thoughts, not to see our thoughts and to not take them personally, meaning we are all conditioned, right? We are all socialized, right? By like one year old, a kid knows what's expected of them. They might not do it, but we're all conditioned to think certain things because we were literally taught to think them. Mm -hmm. And so the work is to actually see your thoughts and not make them mean anything about you. Because the science is very clear that we step into our fear body, when we step into shame, when we step into guilt, we are much less likely to change because we're triggering the amygdala. We're triggering a threat response. Who can make a loving change from there? It is scientifically very challenging and so too on the energetic level. So when we can see that, you know, I think if you talk to most women, uh, human socialized as women, and particularly those of us who identify ourselves as feminists, we can understand that things like body image were taught to us, right? Like that, you know, white, thin, tall ideal of body image. We can see that that was just like implanted in our brains and it's not necessarily any more true than anything else. And we can apply that same understanding to race, uh, rather, my apologies, to racism. Race isn't the problem. Racism is the problem, right? To racism. And we can say, I was taught to think that if I lose 10 pounds, I'll be lovable, right? If I get married and have two kids, I'll be lovable. I'll be a more worthy human, right? There's all these scripts in our heads. And we can apply that same understanding of calling the former BS to say, I was taught white supremacy. I was taught racism. I was taught to call 911 if there's a black guy I don't know, like walking down my street, Mm -hmm. right? Like I was taught these things. And the more I can look at them and look at the part of me that thinks them with love and give that part, not, we're not loving the statement, right? We're loving that part, like we talked earlier about loving resistance and can say, oof, wow, you got taught that. Okay, I love you. I'm not shaming you. I'm just showing up for you. And we need to change this. Yeah. Right? And like, if my partner's like, Vic, will you empty the dishwasher? I'm like, ugh. But if they're like, hey, babe, will you empty the dishwasher? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) You know? Because it doesn't evoke that amygdala, that sympathetic, Right. And then the other response that can come when we protect ourselves against the fact of having a thought is we can go into dorsal vagal, which is the back of the cave, immobilization, freeze, playing possum. And from that response, you know, in both sympathetic and dorsal vagal, uh, your cognitions don't work so goodly. You know, like your brain is just like literally short circuited because of course it should be. You have to run from a lion or hide real quiet at the back of the cave. Please don't think about anything. But when you're trying to do the work to educate yourself, to find out where to donate, to learn about the rally, to sign the petition, to do the things to have the conversation with your racist uncle, right? We need you to be in ventral vagal, which is the safe and secure, social, connected part where your nervous system feels attended to and befriended. Yeah. Because you can, (laughs) that's where change happens. You have cognition. Dorsal Vagal is just an amazing band name, by the way. It really is. I'm actually printing the t-shirts for our band as we speak. <laughs> it's so interesting, like the, you know, these moments in history where we are under just like exceptional stress. This is obviously not the first time this has happened. If you think about <laughs> obviously the Holocaust, so many things. Um, but right. the sort of long-term studies that have come out of that, I mean, I wonder, are we capturing this or, you know, planning to like watch or like, what is the, what are we going to learn in 20 years from this? Like, how do we track the sort of effects of this or how this moment in time has physically manifested or affected our physical health or, you know, cause I know we've seen there, there are, you know, there are some really fascinating studies just on like different age groups, like uh, people in concentration camps and how that kind of trickled down and, and, right. 
and so this is just like, it's such a stamp on yeah. how, it's such an imprint on our nervous system right now. I mean, across the board. And so it's, I'm just curious, like if you have any thoughts about well, how, what before, we might see. Before, before Victoria answers, I want to, I, I want to chime in there too and say that I, I think, you know, in 20, 20 years from now is going to be one thing, but I think it's also like, we have to look back and see how hundreds of years is already creating an impact, right? I mean, I've, I've read, you know, quite a few pieces of, of you know, the research and stuff recently suggesting like, we know that there are, for example, um, hereditary health issues in the Black community that by and large impact them on a much more significant level. And there's arguments being made that this actually does go back hundreds of years because it's the stress of literally going through the experience of being stolen from a homeland and brought over as slaves that has literally carried through generations creating all of these problems. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a great question to say, like, what, what is this going to teach us in 20 years? But I'm also hoping that we can learn now from what history has already very clearly presented us. Yeah. Anyway, I'll turn it yeah. over. Well, uh, you know, I don't know what we'll see in 20 years. It feels like, um, you know, the, the end of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me when they're like, what will we talk about in next week's news? Um, I can make up something funny, but I shan't. You know, I th- my brain goes immediately to epigenetics and resiliency. So epigenetics is the understanding of what you just shared, right? So I don't love a militarized uh, metaphor or a militarized anything, but genes load the gun, environment pulls the trigger. Right. So there's your genetic coding. And then there's the interplay of your your genetics, your DNA and the environment. And an important thing, you know, all the conversations about nature and nurture, but we know that systematically for 400 years, Black folks have been subjected to substandard living conditions, substandard schools, food, living in food deserts, lead in the water, lead on the house, right? Like, et cetera. And I think you're right that right? That uh, organic stress, the physiologic stress plus trauma and all the disruption to the vagus nerve, I think does play a huge role. And I think it's really important to talk about uh, as white and white passing folks, the impact on of our systems, the systems we benefit from on black and brown communities. And there's joy. And there's resiliency and there's music and laughter and love and right church and synagogue and right like like there there's another side too. And I think it's also really important to remember that resiliency and to remember that it sucks to need to be resilient. Right? Like no one should ever have to tap in on their innate resiliency. We should just all have like it should just be nice for all of us equally. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I too am really interested to see, yeah, just what the longitudinal impacts of all of this is. <sighs> <laughs> Collective exhale, yes. Good idea. Yeah, yeah I mean, and it, 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 it just, you know, back to your point, Erica, it's just no coincidence again that this pandemic and coronavirus is, is affecting... <laughs> This group more than anyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's just like there is a real vulnerability there. When I was a primary care provider in Durham, North Carolina, at a federally qualified health center, ninety percent of our of our patients were black or brown. Eh, make that like ninety six percent. The average wait time to see a clinician for a fifteen minute intake, fifteen minute intake, was three hours. Mm-hmm. So like on the most basic level, yeah. 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 I mean, it's, we have a, our, this is just like, our country is so sick right now. So, on so sick. Many levels. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we are just ill. Mm-hmm. We were talking, uh, uh, one of our last episodes, I think, about just this bizarre connection between breath and how not only you know, it's sort of all of these things are coming together at this particular moment in time. And it's like everyone in their own way is saying, I can't breathe. So it's like literally Black Lives Matter, I can't breathe. Corona respiratory uh, issues, I literally cannot breathe. People are dying because they can't breathe. Um, And then you have this interesting connection between the fact that we've all been quarantined and still in this sort of like the great pause has highlighted that 
our planet couldn't breathe, you know? So you have this sort of environmental piece. It's just, it's also connected. And, you know, we see like the effects, like it's like nature saying like, I, literally this needs to stop right now. Everyone needs to pause because I can't breathe. <laughs> and so you see all yeah. that, you know, the, the sort of skyline in LA, just like free of smog. And it's just, it's so, this, this, piece about breath. I don't know. It's just kind of blowing my mind how it's all sort of connecting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the Amazon just burned. Like, let's not forget that, right? The liter- like, like the lungs of the earth. <laughs> it's just like, what the hell is going on? It's um, the age of Aquarius. I uh, mean, if I may go full witch on you, but uh, <laughs> from full nerd to full witch, but we're moving. It's, this is the age of Aquarius. Like this is what is meant to happen. It is a time of wild and radical change also according to a very exacting plan. Yeah. But I mean, and we don't need to go too far down this path. No. I know it's, it's, <laughs> we don't have to go full Wicca wellness, but let's just dip But I do think that's, I mean, I think that's interesting. So how long is this, this age supposed to, uh, supposed to last? You like the Wicca wellness? Oh my God. I feel like I need to recover from Wicca wellness for a second. <laughs> you know? It was pretty good. Nice work. Oh there. my God. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I feel like that's a great, great name for a band yeah. as well. Or a do podcast. You what do you got? Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's really incredible. Um, but I so, think there's something to it. So just my question, yeah. like how, how long is this age supposed to last? And when can we, um, when can we expect that people actually learn something from it? Is I mean, it- the latter is anybody's guess. But this age of Aquarius... I believe it's around 2,160 years. Oh, okay. So that's cool. Aquarius. Put that, that on your calendar. Yeah. And doubling yeah. down as an Aquarius? Uh, <laughs> you could try it, see how it works. Yeah. I mean, Aquarius is the misfit, right? The like lone wolf, the rogue, uh, the rebel with a cause but also sometimes without one. Um, Aquarius is ruled by Saturn. Uh, uh, let me say very clearly, I'm not an actual astrologer. No, I'm just, information I know just nothing about a, a nerd for like anything I can pretty much nerd on. Um, so yeah, the age of Aquarius is, it's like a time of increased collective wisdom, a time, um, and I'm just like, Gosh, I would love to double check my math on how long this is supposed to last. I'm not sure. But um, everything is shifting. Structures that have held us up are collapsing. It can be called a dawning, like a dawning of a new age for community, for activism, for creativity, for being your fully weird self. And part of Aquarius is about like coming together in community while also celebrating yeah, just being that that weirdo that is within you, right? Like being your most authentic self, which I think is one of the gifts, the most amazing gifts any of us can give the rest of this world. Mm-hmm. Just showing up in our realness. So just going back to the... And thank you for that because... That, oh, sure. I, you know, I don't know anything about astrology, but it's always fascinating and fascinating. I, I totally buy it. Uh, but... I just want to go back to this idea that, you know, we have a lot of healing to do (laughs) right now. That's not going to go away. And, you know, I I just, I kind of want to dig into this, uh, you know, going back to the vagus nerve a little bit again, like, because it does control so much. How are you thinking about, like, what are the tools that we have access to? Like, what can we use? What's at our disposal? Like, I know the breath is obviously something that we're talking about very specifically to use as a tool and it has this calming effect and then it, you know, it boosts your immune system and all the rest. But, you know, on that note, like, how do we utilize it? How do we, how do we know if our vagus nerve has even been disrupted? And then how do we go about healing it? Yeah. And is there actually any example of any person whose vagus nerve is not affected? I mean, that's that's the crazy thing here, right? Is like we're talking about this as though, you know, there's a select population that experiences stress, but is it even remotely possible that there are people or populations or groups that just this is not an issue for? Uh no, I can't imagine one. <laughs> My yeah. brain went there's um a Zen monastery across the creek from us. And right. I'm like 
yeah, but some dude this morning saw a mouse and like lost his mind and then like went into all these childhood traumas around a mouse in his bedroom, you know, like humans, right? So, so we're talking about the vagus nerve in two sort of different frameworks. So there's the physiology, um, the physiological sort of aspect where we can understand with particularly with GI issues that the vagus nerve gets slowed. And so that's when we need to attend to it by doing things like uh, there's electrostimulation you can do, gargling, singing, effectively anything that vibrates the throat starts the vagus nerve. Um, and the vagus nerve controls the migrating motor complex in the small intestine, which is effectively what moves food from your stomach into your colon, where you're going to do a lot more absorption and like make a nice poop or not, have a healthy gut microbiome or not, which then controls or is part and parcel of depression, anxiety, insomnia, hormone issues, infertility. I mean, the science on the, the gut, everything connection is never ending, right? So there's that angle of supporting the vagus to jumpstart it, right? To get it moving when we're having and I'll stick to digestive issues. That's really my forte, medically speaking, when things just aren't moving. So uh, back when I had a functional medicine practice, I'm now doing life coaching 100%, but I would often get um, have women who would say like, I eat a meal and it feels like it just sits in my stomach for like 100 years. And so often that's that, that migrating motor complex. The vagus nerve isn't like all systems go. And so it's like, I think of it like a train like sitting up in Inwood, like in New York, and it's got to get all the way down to Brooklyn to like dump the contents out at Coney Island. And we need the migrating no motor complex. Island. <laughs> What's that? that? I said, no offense, Coney Island. I mean, no offense. You're, you're the Seacom. You're very important here, Coney Island. Like, let's be real. Um, but right, so it's got to get it across this whole landmass and somebody, we need a train conductor. And that's what the vagus nerve is. So then the other framework in which we talk about the vagus nerve is polyvagal, right? So that's the understanding of the three parts of the vagus nerve, the sympathetic, and then the parasympathetic, which has two branches, ventral vagal, which is the front of the animal, dorsal vagal, which is the back of the animal. Ventral vagal is the lens through which we look at the world to ask, am I safe? Right? And so our bodies are constantly like, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? We're looking, we're listening, we're smelling, right? We're energetically picking things up with all of our senses. And then we feed that information into our body through neurochemicals. And that can either instigate or start or trigger that sympathetic freakout, that dorsal ventral, which is the back body. And I think of it as like the dorsal fin on a shark. You might want to get real still. So it thinks, I don't know, your seaweed or whatever. And then it's the back body. So also, again, back of your body against the cave wall because you have no energy left. You've expended it all in fight or flight. So what's really important for people to understand is that it is normal to have all three experiences in a seven-minute span. So I, do you guys remember this thing we used to have? It was called outside and they had a subway there. Do you guys remember that? You'd left your apartment. No. Yeah. You know no yeah. I, maybe. I did for the first time yesterday. You went on the subway? I ran. Whoa. I went on the subway. I was like having total anxiety, social anxiety. It was so, Whoa. it was like midday and it felt like it was, I felt like I was a drunk 20 year old on the platform at 3 a.m. Yeah. Like, deserted. This is deserted and kind Whoa. of spooky. Wow. It's a little scary, but liberating. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I was just reminded yesterday that, yes, there is an outside, <laughs> uh, right outside my door, and that I also can get on the subway. Wow. Fascinating. Uh-huh. What, what is every, anything anymore? Okay, so let's pretend it's regular times and you look at your watch in the morning and you're like, 7.45, I'm late. The R, I live on the R train, which for non-New Yorkers comes about once every 20 years or so during rush hour. So if you don't make that R train, you're like walking to Manhattan, which is not a cute right. look. It's the February and the N is the rarely and rarely the never. The never. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so you run, you like bolt down the stairs, you book it down Fifth Ave and you get on the R train. 
you went into sympathetic activation because you needed to. You needed to run. You needed to go. You had a little bit of sympathetic activation to put on pants and make a smoothie before that. So then you get on the train and you know when you like rush onto the car and like it's clear that you like are frazzled. This is New York. New Yorkers are amazing. Someone will smile at you, generally speaking, right? We'll be like, oh, you made it, right? And you connect with another mammal. You feel that social connection, that safety of someone smiling at you, like a real smile. And you go back into ventral vagal. Your body calms. The adrenaline starts to drain. Hopefully cortisol has barely gotten triggered. And that starts to... And then you have this great work day. You feel really happy. You come home. Or let's say you go to yoga. You have this great workout, your ventral vagal the whole time. You really like the teacher. It's really flowing. And then you get into shavasana. And you go into dorsal. You have a safe experience of shutting down, Mm -hmm. of freezing, immobilizing. I think I might be in dorsal now because I'm in my closet. (laughs) And it's kind of feeling like a cave. Yeah. Can we go back for one second to this? Yeah. Because I, 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 I loved the example of just talking again about trauma getting lodged in the body. How kids, you know, when they get upset, they cry and they shake and they just like, get it all out. Um, and somehow we've lost the ability or we haven't like given ourselves permission to do yes. that as adults. I mean, how do we, how do we address that? Because I, so an example is when I'm in an art, so, so for example, I'm in an argu- argument with my husband and I get very upset about something, whatever, and I'll start, like if I shout or I'm physically angry and loud, it's just like, it's so off-putting to him. Yeah. That he's just, just like immediately like, stop, you know, like shut, like shut it down. You're so angry. Like, why are you so, you know, it's just like, there's immediately like, and no offense to him, I think this happens in many relationships yeah. where, where you just feel like there's no space to just have that kind of freak out. And I have, you know, in, in conversations with him, I'm like, no, 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 like, don't be afraid. Don't get all like freaked out that I'm upset or having like a moment. Like, I think it physically, like it scares him. You know, yeah. I think it's just like, you're getting so angry. Like, ah, you're so angry. And I'm, I'm just like, well, of course I'm angry. Like I, it's, it's a natural feeling sometimes to be angry about something or upset about something, but just let me have the moment and know that it will be over. And then like, once it's over, I'll be fine. But like, if I don't have that moment, it's just going to be stuck. Like it's just right. going to linger. So yeah. it's like, it's kind of this thing that I've had to remind myself, like when I get in into like a confrontation or get upset about something, it's just like, you know what? It's okay, even as an adult, to be upset, like whether it's, you know, angry or sad or whatever it is to physically have that experience and to just get it out. Because otherwise, it's just like, you know, I, I think we try to be so controlled all the time because we don't want to agitate another person with like, or disrupt them with our feeling. Right. You know? well, and we don't want to give the impression that we don't have our shit together. Well, and, that uh, you're not in control right. and you're, you know, you're, I mean, God forbid you're called like an angry female or something, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's just so loaded, but, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I want to get your take on like, how do you, how do you have those moments or like, how do you navigate that experience? Yeah. I, I mean, I think you hit it right on the head that anger is so important to release that anger when allowed to fester within us is horrible for our bodies, for our immune system, for our vasculature, in addition to our spirits, right? And our psyche. I just don't think it's healthy to hold it in. And I think as adults in loving relationship with other adults, we get to have a conversation about boundaries and and to understand what someone else's nervous system can tolerate without, right, but like come to a healthy compromise without codependency, right? Without being like, well, if you can't tolerate it, I won't do it. You know, like, oh, right? Like what you were saying of the like, well, you know, I don't want to be like, not be a good girl and I don't want to upset you and I don't want you to not love me. But rather in my relationship, one of our key core rules is when we're fighting, no swearing at each other. We're New Yorkers. So like the F-bombs, every other word with love, right? But... No swearing at each other, no name calling at all. 
yeah. and no raised voices because mm-hmm. that will send That's me into yeah and I'm my partner's a very Italian Italian so you know it's a challenge but yeah. they're up for it and they're up for it because I have explained that my inner child my inner children my nervous system do not tolerate raised voices well mm-hmm. and so it's incumbent upon me to do my individual work to regulate my nervous system and I do it, right? Like more and more every day in conversation with my inner children, giving them love, reparenting them every day, attending to my nervous system, right? Meditation, breath work, yoga, movement. And I know when I am filling my own cup up more, I can tolerate the volume being a little louder. Right. I just, right. I had my window of tolerance for any perturbation of the system is a little wider. It's a little more. And yes, it is my responsibility to monitor, support, regulate my own nervous system. And in loving relationship where the goal, the result we're aiming for is a fruitful, loving conversation and to co-regulate, which means to help each other to get into ventral vagal and stay there, we don't raise voices. So when someone feels that energy of like, ah, okay, I just, I'm going to BRB, right? And we go for a walk around the park or we have a little roof deck. Like I have done jumping jacks on the roof at 3 a.m. to like get it out. It takes a tremendous amount of discipline in the first place though to not not just like roll through and to find that moment to actually check in and pause. And I mean, that's, I think that's the harder part than actually finding the, the pause itself is, is stopping in order to look for it. Yeah. Awareness, acceptance, action. If we're not stepping into awareness and stepping into being our own watcher, again, we're not in ventral vagal with ourselves, right? We're not giving ourselves oxytocin. And it's really, yeah, it's challenging to have the cognitive capacity or the somatic awareness to hit pause. So it's got to start at home. It's got to start with your own self-care in my world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I was just thinking if there's any kind of like funny um, like lever that you can pull that's like a... Is there a physical thing that we could do that would trigger some kind of like psychological like ca- calming down besides, you know, obviously breath work, but... Yeah. <laughs> my poor partner and I tell them I'm sharing this with the entire world. No, I'm like revealing all my like... Uh, I know. Temper anger issues. Like and we've already done an episode on marriage counseling. So this ha! is crazy. I love it. So, uh, whomever realizes that they or the other person is losing their, their can I swear? No, yeah. swear, right? Right. Who's losing their shit? I would never. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I know. I love it. Um, but, right. So, whomever realizes that the other one is losing their shit says nose to nose. And you have to do nose to nose, like literally like put your nose against the other human's nose, whether you are so mad or not. And it like, it just breaks the spell. Can you imagine? You're like, I want to kill you and divorce you in that order. But then you have to like squish your nose against them. So you like get that Cyclops effect Um, and you feel their physical warmth, which will physiologically send you into ventral vagal. And then we breathe together because that co-regulates and sends you into ventral vagal. And it's just like a lot harder to like be a tool bag at somebody when like their sweet squishy nose is on yours and their belly's against yours and you feel yeah. them breathing and you remember that they're just like a flawed human child in an adult body trying to figure it out. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. It's tender. Yeah, thank you. It took years. You know, we've been figuring out how... I think fighting is amazing for relationships. When someone's like, oh, we never fight. I'm like, do you talk? Yeah. Is anybody feeling their feelings up in that house? (laughs) Right? So we have put a lot of effort as like, we're both Leos. We're both... We have a lot of feelings. Mm -hmm. We've put a lot of effort into figuring out how can we fight with so much love? Yeah, amen. And it's a work in progress, but yeah. <laughs> I did find it interesting that you mentioned earlier that another tool, and it's related to breath work, I guess, is singing. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yes, I noted that too. Zoe and I constantly talk about, you know, we joke about like, we'll go out for like a night of karaoke or stay in because, you know, we do it in our own right. homes as well. And it's so therapeutic. And it's funny that 
it's therapeutic in some ways, just on an emotional level, but right. also physiological. And then it reminded me, actually, my husband said that um, when he was a kid, he used to um, hum to himself, like, and it, it was somewhat inadvertent. But I think, I mean, I think he had a pretty stressful childhood with with certain things, and I feel like that kind of self soothing uh, instinct, because it's certainly not something that you know you know is like an eight year old, but right. you do find. And he said it would just like it would just like calm him down and make him feel good. And if he had a stomach ache, then he would hum, and it's really like that vibration so that it endearing. creates. Oh my god. It's so tender. That's, that's just so endearing. I know. It's beautiful. <laughs> endearing. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll actually, that brings to mind a quarantine tip that has more to do with relationship counseling. But um, we have come up since we're both in the house all day long and, you know, our apartment's not that big. But um, I, my partner hums all day, which used to drive me crazy until I started change the story to, oh, they're regulating their nervous system. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now it doesn't annoy me as much. Mama said as much, let me yes. be clear. Okay, we're not perfect over here, but we're also perfect. And I went, because, you know, I'm not going to the gym. Like, I'm just not, I'm doing my best to exercise, but it's not the same as like going to 305 Fitness and like thinking you're going to die 12 times during a class, right? And so one of the ways I let out my excess energy is like singing and dancing around the house. Yeah. And the language we've come up with to let the other one know that's not working is, hey, babe, will you change the channel? <laughs> right? Like it's just like the radio or a TV station. Cause if I'm like, dun, 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 and they're like trying to write a memo, they're a lawyer. If they're like trying to write some big policy brief, they like really just can't with that. Yeah. So it's not about me. They just need to hear smooth jazz, <laughs> right? And not the Muppets. So I yeah. am just set to perma Muppet, but, and it's been so helpful. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like it. Yeah. Change the channel. Change the channel. Um, Ariana Huffington always says that that was the best advice her mom ever gave her. With her Greek guest. She's like, darling, if you don't like what you're watching, change the channel. That's <laughs> amazing. Um, but it is a good thing to keep in mind that you, yeah. are, you hold the remote. Yes. Nice um, one, see. I like yeah. it. Well done. I like that. Thank you. God, wick of wellness and you hold the remote. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, we have so many bands. I three bands. God, I can only play like three chords. Yeah, I think you hold the remote is actually the first cut off the album. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's yeah, amazing. That's I, I do feel immediately better on this singing. I just like underscore that singing thing. Yeah, um, because I have two small children, and I mean, I sang pretty much the entire Little Mermaid soundtrack last night, and I felt. Incredible afterwards. And your kids weren't even in the room. (laughs) (laughs) At one point, listen, I see Erica knows that I I just would sing that on my own. (laughs) True. Yeah. But there are definitely times where my three-year-old's like, could you stop singing? (laughs) Could you stop that? She literally just like put her hand over my mouth. Oh. Usually she's not. But anyway, yeah. It is very, very therapeutic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, we are about out of time, but I feel like this is just, this is really, it's been great. Um, both tips and resources, as well as kind of the big picture perspective that you're bringing to the conversation, which I think is super helpful and relevant right now. And we want to encourage people to follow along with you and, and get some resources and information. So where, where do we send people? Yeah, on the Instagram, I'm Victoria Albina Wellness. My website is victoriaalbina.com. If you head over to the homepage, there's a suite of downloads of uh, meditation downloads that you can get for free by putting your email in there. There's um, a boundary setting meditation, an inner child meditation, a couple body scans, a nervous system exercise called orienting. Yeah, and I'm so always adding to it. Yeah. yeah, I try. I like and the to give. Wellness podcast. Feminist Wellness Podcast. It's free every week on Thursdays on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all the rest. Uh, and I am opening up my six-month online coaching course again, which is really exciting. It's running currently. It's called the Feminist Wellness Guide to Overcoming Codependency. And it's it's a hoot. Like It's so much fun. <laughs> um, it really is just a blast. And people are changing their lives. And I'm so honored to be their guide and to walk by their side and share what I've been so privileged to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Victoria. This is... It's so fun talking to you. You have... Likewise. A- no, you, you're straddling two like very 
wonderful areas, which is, yeah. you know, the, the wicket and the wellness. Not the <laughs> but it is, uh, you're, you're, yes. Thank you, you uh, so much. Yeah, good combo. Well, thank you. And uh, it's been a pleasure. And hopefully, Likewise. cross paths again soon. I'll look forward to it. Thanks again. Take care. All right. Thanks, Victoria. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.